0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Joining us on the encumbered Great Great Midwest Bank hotline is the encumbered Dennis Michelson from the encumbered Racetalkradio.com. Sir, how are you doing today?
2: It's a serious condition. This is no laughing matter. (laughs) Had either of you ever heard of this word?
1: Yes, I have. Or,
2: or yeah. at least, have you ever heard of it used in racing before no. NASCAR chose to use it?
1: I have not. Nope. Somebody, somebody got the thesaurus out and it said, hmm, let's see here. What can we use?
2: It's got to be the dumbest word that I've ever heard used in any form of racing.
1: Well, when I think of it, there's a, there's a dog called the clumbered spaniel. It's a cross between like a Cocker Spaniel and a Basset Hound. And it looks, I mean, it looks like it sounds, and it just for some reason encumbered. I either think of that or constipation.
2: So you're saying that Brian France looks like a special breed of Cocker Spaniel? Oh, wait a minute. No, I, I misunderstood you. Never mind.
1: Well, they got caught. We're talking about Joey Logano and Team Penske. And this is not a new thing. This is this is a thing that's been going on for a couple of years now. And you first, if you're a race fan, you probably first started to notice it probably, I guess it would have been two years ago perhaps at the All-Star Race, I think. Uh, and then also the World 600 at Charlotte in May. I think it was about two years ago. may have been longer. But when you would see the cars coming down the backstretch, they looked like they were dogging. Dog, or what do you even call that? Dog tracking, where the the back ends are kind of and what what they're doing is they're trying to move the the axle over to the right. And teams have been able to to do that and get away with it. Now NASCAR knows about it. They've been cracking down on it. However, what's always funny, and listening to Jeff Hammond's uh, take on this on 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 Fox Sports One, I thought it was interesting. Is that the NASCAR tells them. You know, you can't do this, but they they give them all the tools and 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 everything is on the suspension and how they have it set up on the trailing arm and the axle, so they can do it. <laughs> so it's like we don't want you to do this, but but we we won't make a rules change to lock it in or do what you know. I mean, but so you can do it. And what happens, I guess, is there's a way where, and 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 uh, there's other people that can. Describe this better than I can, but if you kind of crank the car, shake the car a little bit, you can shake that axle loose and it's going to move a little bit over to the right. We're talking mere millimeters, I guess, or that. And it, it, when you're, when, when, when racing and these cars are so tight, they're almost spec racing, you need every little gain you can get. And that's where, you know, Jimmy Jansen and, and Chad Canales was getting in, into trouble because they were trying to get that extra, you know, extra bit up on the competition. That's what racing is about. And these guys got caught. And I think I've taken enough of your time, Dennis. Go on.
3: Well, they
2: got caught. This is the way everybody is saying it. They got caught. What did they get caught of doing? They got caught of doing a part, of having a part that is made to flex. Right. That has been approved by NASCAR. Every nut, bolt, flange, or in this case, pinion angle shim mating surface on this car has been approved by nascar so that's the first thing they were not using an illegal part the only problem is after 400 laps on a short track you are going to have parts that flex Mm -hmm. and move and what happened here is that it didn't flex back after you took the load off of it. Every single car on that track was doing the exact same thing. And I'll guarantee that if you had inspected at the R and D Center all 40 cars in that race of the twenty five fast cars in the race, you would have probably had maybe a dozen that would have come up and not met the standard of having this piece Touch when it stops flexing. This is no different than these ride height penalties in the Xfinity series where they allow the car to run lower when it's on the track. They allow the shock package and the spring package and all that to load with the aerodynamics and have the car lower to the ground. But if your car doesn't magically pop back up, say you have a, a spring or you have a shock that has a slight failure or just gets plain out, worn out during the course of the race and doesn't flex back out to raise the car up, you're illegal. This is not a trick part, folks. This is no different than, I'm going to put it into terms for baseball fans to understand, okay? This is no different than a pitcher that might reach up behind his ear and get a little moisture on, the, on his fingertips to get that ball to break a little bit more. It's, it's against the rules, technically, but he's not going to get caught unless that umpire comes out and notices that he's putting Vaseline or KY or some other foreign object, foreign substance on there. But they don't gyrate. The pitchers don't gyrate and touch themselves all over the place because they've got nervous ticks, They do it because they're loading up the baseball. This is, this is exactly what goes on in every single sport. You push the envelope of the rules. Maybe the only sport it doesn't happen in is ultimate Frisbee, where the spirit of the game <laughs> says you call fouls on yourself. Uh. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. If they have loaded up a trick part, If they figured out a way to put a shim in during a pit stop that magically did something, if they found a way to doctor that part by going under the car pretending to do something else and, and having an adjustment, if they put a secret adjustment in there where they were able to do something magically that got that part to flex out more and then flex back at the end and it failed to do so, if they did something diabolical like that, I say make them sit out the next race as a way to show them don't ever screw with our rules again when it is something so minute. Here's what our NASCAR has gotten to, folks. We've gotten to the point where I've had a car engineer in NASCAR off the record, of course, because nobody will speak on the record in NASCAR anymore because then their car will be checked to the nth degree the next six weeks. But he has told me that the difference in the pavement, in the leveling of the pavement in their garage at some of the older tracks, that difference between their pavement level in their garage area where they're setting this car up and the pavement in the tech area where NASCAR is doing all the measuring is different enough to have the car fail tech. Is that giving us better racing just because you can measure stuff with lasers doesn't mean you should. It's giving us better racing, great. But the racing on the track lately, it hasn't been all that great. And you guys were raving about Richmond. I get it. There was two, three, four wide racing back in the pack. When was the last time you heard a race fan say that I'm tuning in to see three wide racing back in the pack after a restart? They want to see an epic battle for the win. Does anybody talk about all-star races where there were great battles back in the pack for seventh place? Or do they talk about the pass in the grass with Earnhardt getting the win? You want to see battles for the lead. You're not going to want to see guys going ole and getting out of the way as somebody flies by. There was absolutely no battles for the lead in that race. And that's why I was disappointed. This was Texas Motor Speedway racing at what is supposed to be a short track.
4: See, I loved it because I thought Larson and Harvick and uh, Keselowski, when those guys were going up front one, two, three, that was a heck of a battle, Dennis. But getting back to the penalty thing, and I know that they said that the part was one thirty-second of an inch off. I think what, what raises questions in my mind uh, is – They said that I think that Logano got flagged and they wanted to to check it because he was swerving back and forth on the cool down lap, which they said was an indication that he knew, you know, that he was trying to get the part, you know, to seal back up against the axle and, and to close the gap. So... You know, as much as one thirty second of an inch sounds very minuscule and, you know, not a big advantage or anything like that, the fact that he was weaving back and forth put the microscope on himself and his own race team, don't you think?
2: No, I don't. I I think the what put them in the in the microscope is the fact that at Texas Motor Speedway, some of the Hendricks teams were complaining about the cars doing weird things when they were behind the Penske cars, most notably Dale jr. Now here's the, here's the situation. It was one thirty second off after 400 laps. They didn't catch this at the track. They had to take it to the R and D center and they didn't find it for two days. This yeah. was not a major infraction. And if you've got a car that is on a trailer bouncing around the highway from Richmond, Virginia, back to Mooresville in traffic, isn't it also possible that that could contribute to a little bit of the factor? I'm just saying that the the penalty and the crime here don't seem to fit. Uh, it just seems to me like this is being a little bit harsh. I'm not a Joey Logano fan. I'm not a Penske fan by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying... If you don't find it until it's back at the R&D center, it wasn't much of a deal. Unless, of course, you tear the engine down and you find out that the compression in the engine is way off from where it should be. Then again, they did something to to beat the system. They deserve the, the whole book thrown at them, not just an encumbered win thrown at them. I just think that NASCAR has gotten way out of line with these penalties. We used to celebrate innovation. Guys, you know, guys like Gary Nelson used to be well-known for finding the gray areas in the rules. Before that, Smokey Eunuch, and then Ray Evernham, and then, you know, Chad Knaus in more recent days. Trying to find that gray area is getting tougher and tougher in today's NASCAR. Penske found it. And if this is going to be illegal, then mandate a part to make sure it doesn't flex. Because every single car out there is flexing. There's just flexing a little more, and it didn't flex back. That's called innovation. It used to be something we got excited about in NASCAR and in the U.S. Now we hear innovation. God forbid. It's all got to be the same. You've got to all be the same. Oh, come on. This is not making
1: better racing we're talking to dennis Michelson and the great midwest bank hotline and when we come back i'm going to bring a little uh a, kind of a view of nascar racing what it's kind of turned into and i kind of want to get jeff and uh, dennis's uh, opinion on that when we come back uh it's time now though for uh, sports flash with jeff arlowski
0: this is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Driven by Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association. On 105.7 FM, The Fan.
1: back to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary great lakes dragway make sure to check out their website for your 2017 season pass on the online store and plus we'd like to thank our friends at the Air and apple Auto Care centers on the web at milwcar.com joining us on the great midwest bank hotline of course is dennis michelson from race talk radio dennis what's the latest happening at race talk radio
2: Well, we continue to bring you some wonderful content uh, each and every day. And, of course, the online home of Speed Freaks. But especially when it comes to NASCAR, you want to listen to Couch Potato Corner every Monday. Sort of a whimsical replay or recap of the race weekend. Uh, Then, of course, Lori and I with our Still Blowing of the Week uh, replay on Wednesday and then a little extra slice from Lori and I uh, talking NASCAR every Friday. So uh, that's what's coming up, and you never know who else might stop in for an interview along the way. Uh, We might even have some coverage this week of our uh, friends at the Tire Rack One Lap of America, the modern-day cannonball run uh, that started their journey around the country. They're heading to the southeast U.S. uh, and right now finishing up an autocross in Grissom uh, Air Force Base in Indiana. So uh, wishing them uh, safe travels as they head south into the floodwaters.
1: I'm going to give uh, Jeff some homework here to do real quick while we bring up this subject. Jeff, I want you to look online and see for last year if you can get average penalties for an NFL game.
4: Okay, average per, number of per, total penalties? Per game, penalties? yeah, per game. Okay.
1: Because I, I, I noticed this with, this with this commitment line uh, at Richmond, they, they, they had a commitment line with a, a, a cone that wasn't a cone. And if, if, if anybody anybody's ever sat in a race car, you, you, you really can't see anything on the ground for, I would say, 10 feet in front of you, maybe. I, I would yep. guess even a stock car. And the stock cars are even more. I mean, the last time I sat in a stock car has been about 20 years, but they're even lower now. And you you can't see it. I mean, it's it's, it's almost their their head of their their heads are almost getting as low as as some open wheel cars, and you can't just can't see them. And they had I think it was nineteen penalties in last week's race at Richmond, and you know I'm, I was thinking about that and just seeing all, another penalty, another penalty, uh, pit pit lane, you know pit you know, pit stop penalty, this and that, and I, I'm wondering if. It's almost, and I thought maybe you know when when they, when they sit in Daytona in these boardrooms and and they're just going, oh, we gotta do something. We gotta be more like the other sports, I guess. We gotta be like the NFL. Are these penalties? Are they in some way they think penalties are more penalties and being like the NFL for like uh, offsides or you know line, not covering the, the the guard and all this all these little weird things that the NFL has. Is this NASCAR's way of trying to be like that, Dennis? I, I, I don't understand it.
2: Well, you know, there, there are some legitimate uh, rules that are meant for safety. The pit road penalty as far as pit road speeding is there because of penalties. The commitment cone is there because of uh, trying to keep guys from, you know, being late, uh, ducking on pit road and causing accidents. So everything's safety-related. However, and and including pit crew guys coming over the wall too soon, everything is based on the concept of safety. But if you want to make pit road all about safety, you've got GPS in every single Mm -hmm. one of these cars. You just say, okay, if you are above 55 miles an hour, that's the speed limit on pit road this week here at Talladega. If you're above 55 miles an hour, for more than, you know, half a second at, at any given time, the the computer is going to throw the penalty flag on you automatically. But no, they give them 4.99 miles an hour over the limit. So they turned it into a game when it should be safety related. So what these guys do is they speed up coming out of their pit box and then slow down before the, the end of the timing line because it's it's time over distance. It's not actual speed. So You've got guys speeding up and slowing down. That makes for a more unsafe pit road. Just mm-hmm. go to a GPS that throws the flag on them. If they're above 55 miles an hour, boom, you got the problem solved. You, you don't turn it into a game. You, you turn it into what it's meant for. As far as the commitment cone, you're absolutely right. When you paint a, a mark on the track, there is no way in hell the guys is going to be able to see that, and you know, especially not if they're second in line. So it, it's just kind of a weird thing. There were more commitment cone violations than there were restarts other than right at the first lap of a restart. So once you got five laps into the restart, you had six green-black passes for the lead all day, and you had eight commitment cone violations. Do you think the fans show up to watch commitment cone violations or passes for the lead? Make it something worthwhile. You know, It's turned into a game with all of these, these things, all of these cutesy penalties. And, you know, I don't know. It, it's also a difference on when you get the penalty. Because in football, if you get the penalty at your 10-yard line for holding, It's half the distance of the goal. Every other time, it's 10 yards. In NASCAR, the penalty is more severe if there's a green flag and if it's a smaller track. A penalty uh, at Sonoma is never going to cost you a lap. You come on in, you serve your penalty, you back out. At Bristol, it costs you two and a half laps. There is no consistency to what a penalty costs you as a team between green flag racing and caution flags. It is just very weird the way they turn this into a game of penalties and avoiding penalties rather than racing on the track.
1: Well, uh, Jeff, how many penalties the average? Uh,
4: 2016 in the NFL, it was just under nine penalties a game.
1: So in Richmond, we had twice the amount of penalties that we had in an average NFL game, Dennis. Yeah,
2: it's. It's ridiculous. You just you're looking for a reason to throw the flag. Um and as a referee, you know, I, I used to referee a lot of basketball and the last thing you wanted to do was blow your whistle on a call. If you could you know, if you could avoid it if you let the play go and the play complete itself, that was the goal. You know, you were just there to blow the whistle when the players were blatantly violating the rules you weren't there to try to affect the outcome of the game and that's in nascar it's turned into the opposite way where the penalties more often than not are contributing to who wins and loses more than what we're seeing as far as the action on the track
4: Yeah, i agree with you because we saw at atlanta kevin harvick had the, the car to beat he got a late speeding penalty on pit road cost him that race uh, Kyle Busch this last week had one of the cars to beat, and and he got dinged on that painted box. So they're definitely and affecting it, who it, wins and who loses.
2: And when it came to penalties, uh, the other thing is there, there is a way to sort of, in any other sport, to look at the penalty and, and maybe, you know, talk the referees into taking that penalty away. The penalty that they gave Martin Truex Jr. were the reason he was late getting on the pit lane is because he was avoiding a safety truck that was still out on the track. That should have been waved off as far as the penalty goes. That was a horrible call against Martin Shurek Jr., but NASCAR only has one way to make a call. It's We make the call, and then we stick with it, even if it's wrong in that case.
1: And, of course, we have Talladega this week. Let's have some fun here. Oh, yeah. All right. You guys ready for some fun? <laughs> All right, who is the oldest race winner?
3: Boy,
2: that is a good question. Yeah, it is. I I'm gonna guess uh, I'm gonna guess Harry Gant, because he's usually a good answer to any
4: question when it comes to age. All right, I'll uh, I'll say Rusty.
1: Rusty. Correct correct answer, Harry Gantt. Who is the youngest race winner? I'll give you a hint. It was his only win. Wow. Only win.
2: And this is a Talladega.
1: So that could be about well, six, seven guys, I think.
2: Yeah. So it couldn't have been Richard Brickhouse because he was already older when he won the very first one. Yep. Uh, and that was his only win. Boy, that's a good question. Um whew. You got me stumped on that
1: one. Bobby Hillen Jr. Ah, very good. Hey, and the track record is fast. In 1997 188 miles an hour. Of course, this week it's the 30th anniversary of Bill Elliott's. Is it 217. Is it the 217 or 212? I got it. I just had the notes here, I'm sorry. Um yeah, I, I think it was, was 217, it, too- it but- 217? It is 217. I thought it was and uh, yeah. that,
2: that record setting speed for the race was when Mark Martin won caution free.
1: Right. That is correct. And it can be done. Uh, yeah. and he but,
2: only changed he only changed tires during that race one time. The rest of the pit stops he just took fuel. That's it, crazy, isn't it?
1: Interesting, especially when you hear you know hear about something like that today. Sometimes simple is better. Um, it was interesting, Bill, Elliott was, was talking about the, the record in 1987. He said at that time they had about 625, I think it was, six, 600 horsepower, and now they're running over 250 more horsepower to the ground. So it just shows yep. you how much these things are restricted and why they get bunched up so much. And, of course, yeah, I've you, you, at, d- that Dennis that and I have been talking so I- about this for a while, that there's a better way to, to reduce speeds than that.
2: Well, that was also the era uh, there at Talladega where one of the races, it wasn't the one where he set the record pace, but uh, Bill Elliott had a problem early in the race, lost two laps, and actually unlapped himself (laughs) during green flag (laughs) racing. You'll never see that
4: happen
1: again in that. No no chance. Nope. The last time we saw something very unusual – and guy making passing passing cars which should not have been happened was the that uh fire, 2001 Firecracker 400 with Dale Earnhardt had that 1300 horsepower car with no restrictor plate when he won the race after his daddy was killed i still oh, say I that know. was a that was <laughs> and you you'll talk to nascar and say that thing was totally rigged cuz he was making I, he was making moves in that race that you cannot make How tight is your tinfoil hat today? Come on. Come on, Dennis. We We, were watching that race, and I was giggling. It was so obvious.
4: Week two, a rip on Junior. I love it.
1: (laughs) I love Junior, but if they're not going to let you run with a restrictor plate, or they they gave him Senior's restrictor plate anyways. But, no, that's right. He could see air. Dennis, we thank you so much for coming on the show this week. And we look forward uh, to hearing you again at the end of the show with Laurie Monroe. And what are we chatting about uh, this week?
2: Oh well, Laurie has come up with the solution to how to cure the worst problem in NASCAR. How about that for a tease? Apathy? <laughs> no, no. This is very. She's very serious about Okay,
1: this.
3: all right. I'm, um, I'm telling you, and
2: it's a it's a great solution to uh to what is ailing the 22 team this week so uh check it out and uh you know then go to your local Blaine's from and fleet or uh if you're up in canada you'll have to go to a canadian tire to order one but uh yeah that's coming up later in the show
1: looking forward to hearing it uh you've been we've been talking to dennis michelson from race talk radio on the great midwest bank hotline and coming up next we're gonna hear from indycar driver charlie kimball on his racing with uh, diabetes and the upcoming Indianapolis 500, Indianapolis Grand Prix, of course, next week at Indy, and then also the upcoming race in June at Road America. So uh, make sure you tune in to hear Charlie. Dennis, thank you so much. We'll chat with you next week, sir. You're
2: welcome, Z-Man.
0: All right. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?